Okay, good morning everyone. Is that on? Yeah, good morning. It's good to be with you all. Let's get set up here. Um, for the kids, if they want to grab something from the back to colour in, just a reminder, there's colouring in back there. Joel had to find his own today, because oh, I forgot. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, my name is Eric. Um, for those who don't know me, most of you do, I reckon. But um, my wife and I live up the road north of Minleton, and uh, obviously this is our church fellowship. Uh, it's wonderful to be part of our church family here in Minleton, and it's my honour and responsibility to bring us the word today. So um, before we go any further, uh, shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, so much that you have revealed to us who you are through your word. And uh, Lord, as we explore this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 today, we just we pray, Lord, that you would grant us understanding of your word. And um, Lord, help our hearts to be open to receive, receive your word and to um, yeah, put it into our lives and to live it out each day we pray. Please help me and uh, grow us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in the series in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, uh, Becoming Who We Are. Um, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to the Corinthian church. And uh, as we've discovered, we're getting towards the end, it's, it's got a lot of these, it, you know, it'll talk about a topic for a while, then it will have a very abrupt change and talk about something completely other. Um, that's, it's not, the, the segues aren't very, um, uh, what do you say, smooth. They're, they're like changing gears in a rough truck. It's, you know, the, our, our, our word is, is, now I would remind you, and that's it. He's, he's turned another direction. We've been talking about spiritual gifts for three chapters. Um, and uh, let us not leave that behind us. Of course, we need to keep growing in our knowledge of God. But uh, here we are. We've just we've shifted now to this new topic um, he wants to address. And uh, before um, Paul actually gets right to the heart of what he wants to talk about, which is the resurrection of the dead, he first gives um, a reminder to uh, us the uh, of the gospel. Because this is actually going to lay a foundation for his um, further teaching coming later and his correction. So, um, right at the start, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. And it goes on there. Christ crucified was the first, the most important message he, uh, Paul knew people needed to hear. Um, when he went to Corinth, we learn back in chapter 2 of this book, he says, I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, that, was the, that was the absolute heart of his uh, message he wanted to first portray. So he's saying it, it, you know, it's of first importance, this gospel. It is the most desperate message we need to get to our friends and family and to the world. Uh, Paul says in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So this gospel illuminates the way of salvation from our sins and condemnation and ultimately how we can be reconciled to God. So how precious and how important is this message? So here we find um, 
in these next verses, perhaps the most succinct summary of the gospel and all of the scripture. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's sort of the gospel in a capsule, I guess you could say. It's, um, uh, it's you know, th there's so much more we can add to flesh this out. This is, this is stri stripped right back. This is what Christ has done for us. So, firstly, we learned Christ died for our sins. Sin is our greatest problem. We can't save ourselves. Christ needed to die to, to save us. He took the punishment that we deserve. If, if we could be good enough, just good enough to you know, follow God's way and, and enter into heaven, then Christ died for nothing. He had no need to die if we could just be good enough. But no, we needed the Saviour. And he was buried. I guess this emphasises the fact he was definitely dead. <laughs> um, he was raised on the third day. You know, when Christ was raised, he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Um, Acts actually says <laughs> it was not possible for Christ to be held by death. Him being God in the flesh, um, there was no way death could rule over him. So sometimes I even, I just, I narrow down the gospel just to that, that Christ died uh, for our sins and that he was buried and he was raised. But it, I had noticed in this passage, it actually it stood out to me. Twice it says, in accordance with the scriptures. When you try to narrow it, you can't overlook the fact that when Christ died, it was in accordance with all the prophecies. His, Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. The, the longed-for Messiah um, is the Christ. And it says that twice here. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Um, that, that opens up this whole larger picture for us about the fact this is the long-awaited Messiah that um, from the beginning of time God has been preparing his appearing and his, his work and salvation. So, so that sort of this, this short little uh, snippet on the gospel, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's got so much in it I could get caught up on that but this is just a little reminder before Paul's getting into his main message so I better not take too long here. Um, Paul then moves on to talk about, he emphasises the many eyewitnesses that saw Christ's resurrection, including himself. So ultimately he's saying here, look guys, Christ has appeared to many. Um, he starts listing you know, to, to Cephas, which is Peter, and to uh, the 12 apostles, uh, to more than 500 people on one occasion. Most who are still alive. R remember at the time this letter to the Corinthians was written, if people really wanted to check out the stories that people were saying, they could actually go ask these witnesses. Uh, people, you know, most of them were still alive. You can go find them if you, you know. Um, I guess that, that is just reassuring. If, if, if someone says they saw the risen Christ, you know, they, they could have just been hallucinating or it could have been a dream or, you know, we can write that off. But, you know, even if you have the apostles gathered together, you know, 12 people seeing that, um, you know, 500 people. We're getting to the point now, you sort of, you realise that, that there's, this isn't just some dream or hallucination if so many people are seeing this. And look, look at what um, the result is in those people's lives when they have encountered 
the, the risen Christ. Um, you know, you, you have James, the Lord's brother, who was indeed one of the biggest skeptics. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was out of his mind when he was doing his miracles. Um, and then last of all, Paul, he says that well, he, he just is acknowledging him. So he, he was the greatest of the skeptics. He indeed was imprisoning and killing Christians um, because he did not believe their message and he thought that they were indeed enemies of God. Um, when we consider what a difference it made for Paul when he himself saw the risen Christ and uh, that completely changed his focus, didn't it? He, he went from being killing them to risking his own life um, to preach the message of Christ. Um, you know, th these are such powerful testimony to the fact that what these guys actually saw in, in the risen Saviour was like was true, was real. They were eyewitnesses, and um, it transformed them. When we grasp that message, it ought to transform us, and uh, that's what I'm trying, hopefully trying to help us today to grasp. So, um, yeah, not just Paul. Obviously, all all of these. Um, disciples and, and others who saw Christ, they were all transformed and emboldened. Remember, they were hiding when they thought that Christ was dead. They, they, they were behind a locked door um, and then they've suddenly become, um, you know, empowered proclaimers of the risen Christ. Um, yeah, they, they, they have been radically changed. Um, what I also love about Paul's little... Uh, message here, um, the humility, Paul recognises he is unworthy to be a believer, yet alone an apostle. Um, you know, the, the, the truth is uh, we are all unworthy of God's favour um, and goodness. Um, some of us are more aware of that than others. And, um, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus gives an example of two people that had a debt cancelled. One had a little debt cancelled and one had a greater debt cancelled. And, you know, the, the truth is when, when people are more aware of how depraved they are, they, they perhaps do love God more. But we are all people who, without God's hope, we, we all were um, under God's righteous judgment, uh, under his condemnation, and deservedly so. But we have been saved by God's grace. Um, and the truth is that no one is too far gone to be beyond God's redemption. You know, some people think if I ever come to church, the roof would might fall on my head. And I don't know if they're just saying that as a joke or if they're real, that they actually think that they're just that bad, that they, they think God might actually strike them with lightning or that, you know, they, 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 that no one's good enough to come to God. The truth is, um, none of us are worthy to come to God, um, but through Christ, um, we are made his sons and uh, we can boldly approach his throne. I digress. So the emphasis here that Paul's making is that um, Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Christ, it says in verse 12, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. I wonder if we proclaim he's risen from the dead enough here at church. Sometimes we, we say it or we, we allude to it or not allude, that's the wrong word. Um, we acknowledge it as a fact, but proclaiming it, he is risen. This is a game changer. Christ has risen. He has defeated death. Um, there, that's, that was a challenge to me even. <laughs> Christ is proclaimed, has risen from the dead. So now he, here in verse 12, we discover why Paul has given us this reminder of the gospel. And what is the thing he's wanting to address here? Well, the second half of that verse says, it, yeah, well, firstly it says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there was people within that congregation that didn't believe that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. Now, what is meant by that phrase, resurrection of the dead? Is that talking about Christ? No. No. What is meant by this phrase, and we're going to go on and discover this more, it's talking about a bodily resurrection of everyone who has ever lived, both the righteous and the wicked, being raised to life again. Uh, Darren already just mentioned about that time when every knee will bow in heaven and earth, um, acknowledging Jesus Christ to be Lord. And uh, that's, you know, I believe, directly after this bodily resurrection of everybody. Um, John chapter 5, verse 25, gives us another scripture, which I think will bring some more light to this teaching of scripture. Jesus speaking says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Down to verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is a clear teaching of scripture. It's actually a core Christian doctrine. We sang that earlier in, in a song called The Creed. It's based on the historic uh, creeds of our Christian faith. Um, I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. Um, it's, uh, it's what the Bible teaches. Um, and it's uh, not just a, a New Testament teaching, it's also an Old Testament doctrine. Um, indeed, it's one of the issues, or issues, the dividing things the Pharisees believed, but the Sadducees didn't. In Scripture, we, we hear it several times that the, Saris, the, sorry, the Sadducees didn't believe in, in the bodily resurrection. But uh, Acts 23, verse 8, is one of those scriptures that shows us clearly. Uh, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And I guess I'll just use that as an example. This was a teaching in the Old Testament before even we have our New Testament. The, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, saw these scriptures, and some believe it, some didn't. But um, the Old and New Testament teach this resurrection event from the dead at the, at the fullness of time. Um, perhaps some of us have seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Um, I don't know, has anyone seen that movie? There's a couple, yep. Um, anyway, that, that's a, it's a, a movie based on Jewish belief, and that also has this event of um, uh, a resurrection, people, dead people rising from their graves. Anyway, that's, that's um, probably the only movie I can think of that depicts that. Um, that's probably others. Anyway, um, so uh, just th that's what's meant by this phrase, the resurrection of the dead. So how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So... Obviously, some people within the, that had believed on Christ were, didn't grasp this as um, a doctrine of, of, um, of the church, or, or of, an, of, of an event that's yet to come. Um, so, hang on, I better, I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> what I'd like us to notice is that Christ's resurrection here is very distinct from, say, Elijah raising the widow's son in the Old Testament, or when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. Those people were raised to life again only to die later at some point in their life. So, so those were, yes, powerful miracles performed, but Christ's resurrection is 
and, and I think most of us grasp this, that, you know, we realise he has risen to never die again. He actually has an indestructible life now. Uh, he, um, his resurrection is a very co contrastingly different to those previous ones. So Christ, and what, this is what Paul's labouring here, Christ is the first of a new kind of resurrection, this resurrection from the dead where all will be raised to life and live forever. And I find this really helpful that when we're trying to grapple, what is everlasting life going to look like? Um, it's not going to be merely just a spiritual, you know, our body's dead in the grave, but our spirits sort of live on in some sort of, you know, ethereal, in the clouds type environment. You know, it, it, it's hard to be tangible with that kind of imagery. Um, no, when we think about this doctrine, it's, it's a bodily resurrection. Everyone will have a physical resurrected body. Uh, that is immortal and, um, you know, for the believers there will be a physical new earth and new heavens and God's going to make his dwelling place with man. You know, we can visualise the, the reality of what the scriptures are teaching and I don't want to go too much into that because in the second half of this chapter, next week's message, uh, I don't want to steal too much thunder, it talks more and more about what will our bodily resurrection look like. So I'll leave that for next week but... Um, you know, this, this teaching, uh, I just wanted to get our heads around that. Um, uh, now, now that we understand what is meant by that phrase, uh, the resurrection of the dead, um, it seems that some church folk at Corinth, um, that without denying that Jesus was risen, they, they, they understood that, they believed that. So, you know, Paul's reminded them, we've been preaching this gospel to you here, Christ is risen from the dead. Um, that they were denying the fact that there's going to be a resurrection for everyone else. Um, and... Paul's um, going to labour the point to us from verse 12 to about verse 16. We'll read that together shortly now that we've got our heads around this. He's going to labour the point that they can't be separated. Christ is risen from the dead. He's defeated death. Everyone's going to live again. Like these two things are inseparable. Let's have a read. Let's read these four verses from verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, do you see how he's, he's linking these two together? You cannot separate them. Christ is risen we too will rise. Uh, you, know, you, you can't deny one without denying the other. So that's, that's um, powerfully being uh, proclaimed here. Um, now, I get it that some people, um, many of us perhaps, struggle to grasp or believe um, that dead people can be brought back to life. You know, even within historically, within the church, some people thought, yeah, God can raise the dead from a grave, but, you know, those heretics, if we burn them, you know, how's God going to gather all their bits of atoms together and raise them back to life again? Or maybe we'll scatter their ashes in the river. You know, God, God can't raise that. You know, they, 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 people think like that. They think it's too hard for God to do something like that. Um, uh, but, you know, we might struggle with how, how's God going to do this? But, do you know, we're not, if we're thinking that, we're not the first people to question that. It's helpful to look back in the Bible and see, oh yeah, people back then, they, they wrestled with this, they struggled with that. Um, in Acts 26, uh, verse 8, um, Paul was responding to sceptics who 
uh, didn't believe in the resurrection, he's, or, or, or was struggling with this idea because I'm proclaiming Christ as raised from the dead, he's like, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Why, why is that an incredible thought? Is that too hard for God? <clears throat> it's, it's similar to Jesus' response when he was talking to the Sadducees. You know, the Sadducees had come to Christ. They didn't believe there was going to be a resurrection and they tried to make some trick question about a wife that married seven different brothers and, you know, when they had all died, whose who's, who's, um, husband is she in the resurrection? You know, uh, and, and Jesus' response, before he goes on and explains what it's going to be like in the resurrection, he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You know, God has made heaven and earth. Is anything too hard for him? If he gave us life in the first place, how, what's the big deal about him reviving that? You know, um, nothing is too hard for God. And, you know, this, this, is, this, isn't, this is using reason. Like sometimes I think we actually too often think unreasonably about God and about things. Um, if God is who he says he is, why do we have a problem understanding that? Um, beautifully, I think this also can depict some other uh, p- things in the Bible that sound too miraculous or too out there. You know, uh, I heard it said, if you believe Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then logically you shouldn't have any problem believing the rest of the Bible. The God powerful enough to have created the heavens and the earth is powerful enough to do the rest of what the Bible says that he did and does. Um, you know, God can command a whale to swallow a man and keep him alive for three days. He can divide a sea and let people walk through it. Um, that, that those things are only remarkable if we don't believe there is a God that's powerful or we don't believe there's a God at all. Um, yeah. So hopefully that's helpful as we grapple with this, you know, how can we visualise this happening? Um, you know, if you believe in God, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> um, so moving to the next verses here, uh, we, the, from verse 14 to 19, um, Paul is laboring this point that the reality of Christ's resurrection is actually crucial to the Christian message. You know, the Christ, Christian message stands or falls, actually, uh, whether this is true or not. In verse 14, he says that he and all the apostles have been preaching in vain. It's, it's of no value whatsoever if the resurrection is not histor- historically true. He, he recognises this. If, if it's not true, guys, I'm wasting my breath. <laughs> um, so are the other apostles. Um, Peter actually me- mentions in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, this is Peter's words as well. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's like, I saw it myself, guys. Like, this isn't some clever idea. Um, If it's not true, they they knew they were wasting their breath. Um, But they're like, guys, we we saw it. We're willing to die for this truth. So if Christ is not raised, there's also other problems, Paul points out. He actually says, our sins are not even forgiven. Verse 17, they're not dealt with. We're still, we still have a problem, people, of coming before God. Death is also the end, he says. 
there is no hope beyond the grave. If Christ has not conquered death, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, later on in this chapter he's going to say. So this is a critical, critical teaching. I love how we come to verse 20, though. You know, Paul's been saying, look, if this isn't true, what's the point? Then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, he's seen it for himself. He, he can see this no other way. All the, all the evidence, and even when you look at this historical evidence, testing Christianity, it's amazing. All the evidence points to the fact there's an empty tomb. Uh, Jesus, he didn't just somehow survive the cross. He definitely died. Um, you know, people wouldn't have stolen the body um, and made up the story and then died for that story. You know, the, all the evidence points that Christ indeed is raised. You, you, can, you can still be sceptical and wonder whether he did or not, but... The, the only thing stopping you is, is logical reason that God's powerful enough to do this and he says he's done it. So Paul is absolutely convinced and he is willing to put his life on the line. Christ has been raised and he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so now we're going to look at how, how does this work? How does Christ's death and resurrection work? Um, we have to understand Adam and the original sin known as the fall of mankind and it shows how the pieces link together. So this probably helps answer the question I've heard before as well. How can one man's death save a whole, save everyone on planet Earth? Like one death for everyone, um, the entire human race. But um, we, it says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, there's actually a much bigger passage in Romans chapter 5 which explains this. It goes into more detail about um, the, you know, Adam, his, his death and sin bringing condemnation for all and, and Christ is bringing uh, justification. Um, just the first verse of that I think really helps us understand that death is actually a result of sin. And, and so Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So here we learn it was sin that brought death into our world. Death is an intruder in our world as a result of Adam's original sin. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. Sin and death, they're inseparably linked. Later in this chapter, verse 56, we're going to find out that the sting of death is sin. And that's why without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. Christ took the penalty for sin, which was death, on the cross. In verse 26, death is an enemy. It's called it the enemy. Do you know, there's a, this is actually, this is really powerful, that the Christian worldview validates our suffering and our hurt when, when a loved one of ours dies. Do you know that, there might be a worldview out there that kind of validates it too, but I'm unaware of it. You know, atheism says that, oh yeah, death, that's just, that's just part of life and it's, you know, it's, it's too bad, you know. It's not actually bad. It's kind of that natural selection thing, isn't it, that sort of keeps things uh, evolving. Um, but there's no, there's no consolation in that. There's no validation of the fact that why do I feel so hurt? Why do I feel such a, a loss? It feels like it's an intruder. 
um, Buddhism or Hinduism, you know, it's an, suffering's an illusion, or you know, we're just trying to escape this illusion of 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 um, reality and. You know, th there's no validation. Christianity, the Christian worldview shows us that death indeed is not part of God's original very good world. It's an intruder uh, because of mankind's sin. And Christ has defeated death and at the fullness of time, there will be no more. It will be eradicated. And we will have um, no more suffering and pain. And so to me, that even just in grappling with those difficult things that happen, that, um, that young life or the, the uh, loved person that passed away, um, what's happening is bad. It's, it's morally bad, but, but it's, God allows it, but he will remove it one day. So that, that's a really powerful truth uh, that we learn here as well about death. So hopefully we're, we're grappling here, um, we, we're grasping that, um, you know, the big picture, Christ's resurrection means we all will be raised at the last day. Um, verses 24 to 28 here, um, it's talking about Christ destroying uh, every authority and rule and, and, and reigning over every rule and power. Um, and he's, he's going to, um, it uses the word subjection a lot when you, when you read through this, but, you know, Christ um, is going to restore all things in the end to their proper place under God's authority. Um, it has this funny phrase there um, about... Uh, where am I? Uh, when it says, in verse 27, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that it is accepted who put all things in, exception, uh, in subjection under him. That's talking about uh, Christ isn't going to rule over God the Father. Christ is ruling over everything, much the same as, say, Joseph in Egypt. Pharaoh made Joseph the ruler over all of Egypt, except he was still above him. And it's, it's, it's the same likeness. Christ, the Son, is ruling over all of creation. God has given him that, that authority. Um, and that, so that verse is just saying it's clear he's not actually ruling over, over God the Father. Um, but that, to me, when I was reading it, it, was just like it was a bit hard to get my head. The wording was just a bit tricky. So I'm just trying to give you some, some help with that verse. But... Um, uh, Christ is going to restore everything to its proper place and the final enemy to be destroyed is going to be death. Um, yeah. So, so this, is to, this is talking about a beautiful time to come. This is something we have to look forward to uh, as, as believers is um, you know, the long-awaited fullness, uh, we, the, the um, culmination of... of uh, what we're hoping for, to be face-to-face -face with our Saviour and to live forever in a, in a paradise. Um, be before I, I start talking about its application, there's this really unusual verse here in 29 which talks about being baptised on behalf of the dead. Um, and I better just try to make mention of what in the heck does that mean? I hope I'm not the only person that was wondering that. Um, there's actually no mention of this practice anywhere else in the Bible and apparently nor in any other ancient writings. This is the only verse we have about this unusual thing that was done. And, um, and most people in the churches today have no idea what it actually means. Um, we cannot know with certainty exactly what it means. There's, there's plenty of speculation and ideas. Um, so based on the rest of the New Testament, we know that it cannot mean, now just let's be clear on what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that a living Christian can be baptised on behalf of a dead non-Christian 
and somehow change that dead person's destiny. Like, we can't be baptised for someone who didn't love God and then that'll change their destiny. It's, it's definitely, we know that that would be inconsistent with Scripture. It's not talking about that. Um, perhaps some Christians were being baptised on behalf of believers, uh, possibly friends or family who had died without being baptised. Um, and so, you know, they're just being baptised for them. And, and Paul doesn't uh, either commend this practice or condemn it, um, which could mean it, it may even be misguided, which it possibly was, but it still isn't gospel denying. It's, it's a practice people are doing because they truly believe that these people that are being baptised on their behalf, they're going to be risen to new life. Um, so they, they had a right, uh, you know, uh, understanding of what's going to happen in the future. Maybe, maybe they were misguided. Um, I wonder too sometimes, maybe it was just an early church practice that's no longer relevant for the church today, so that's why the scripture doesn't really talk about it anymore. But anyway, here it is actually being portrayed in a positive light because it's an example of what people were doing in this time that affirmed Paul's main argument. It's saying the dead will be raised. See, even these people believe it and they do that. Uh, the dead are going to be raised. Um, anyway. We don't really know what it means. It's not something we seek to practice in, in any churches. Um, it's, a, it's a peculiar thing, um, and maybe that's what it means. So uh, anyway, hopefully that answers a few of our wonderings um, about that. Um, let, let's, let's, let's get to um, some of what I think Paul's going to say is our application of this very passage. Um, verse 30 Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? So if life beyond the grave is a reality, if, if we know there is this forever, the eternity that we look forward to, um, th this, is, this is what is driving Paul on. Paul is willing to risk his life to proclaim this message of the risen Christ so that others may know him and believe in him, so that he can alter... Um, the direction of their eternity, ultimately too, so that he can be obedient before God. And, um, and he knows that if he dies doing that, that this is the, the shortness of life we're in now is nothing compared to all of eternity. Um, it pales in significance. Um, we understand that all the apostles except John were killed as martyrs, uh, proclaiming this message of the cross. And... You know, Paul here was, he was ignored. He knew he was in danger every day, every hour, he actually says, by proclaiming the risen Christ. We actually, we're very fortunate today, I think we're fortunate, that we don't have such persecution in Australia. We, we, we might get ridiculed for proclaiming that. We might be, we might even lose a friend over it. It's, it, it, it's challenging to um, risk that. But, you know, if we believe it, if we love them, don't we want to at least give people an opportunity to hear the message of, the risen saviour and of forgiveness from sin. So, so that's part of our application is this, um, the, the fact that it changes our values in, our, in our, the way we live our life now. Um, Paul has a strong rebuke too for people who um, they don't believe that there's life beyond the grave. Verse 34 Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sitting, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. So Paul here likens our, uh, if we're not believing in life beyond the grave, he likens that to a man being drunk. You know, 
a few verses earlier, again, it's saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's, how, that's the philosophy people live by. Have you guys ever heard the phrase YOLO? Yeah, YOLO, sorry, I said like with American accent. YOLO, you know, you only live once. Is that true? Atheism says it is. You live, you die, you might as well have fun now. You know, it's not a new philosophy, by the way. Here we go. People that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So, you know, why would you bother risking your life for, for Christ? You might as well just have fun and do what feels good, I guess. Um, because in the end, it doesn't matter. Or does it? Um, if there is no life after death, life does have no ultimate meaning and it ultimately doesn't matter. But if there is life beyond the grave, what we do with our life now profoundly matters for all of eternity. Um, I, have, I think I have time for this illustration, which is, I've come prepared, so let's do it. I used this on Sunday last week for those who were there. Uh, I say Sunday, at Life Series, because it was in my script. Um, but uh, I have a rope here. And this rope is thanks to Francis Chan. He gives this good illustration. Um, uh, this depicts our lifespan. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't find a long enough rope. I needed a rope that could cross the nullarbor to Perth and then wrap around the earth a couple of times and then head off into outer space. Because it's talking about this rope, if, if we're going to live forever and eternity, this rope should just go on forever, right? Um, and have I got this the right way for you guys to start? Yeah, that's the right for you guys, isn't it? Yeah. So imagine this first line of the rope is when we're born, this, this black spot here. And because we're going to live for eternity, at this point on the rope, I put it there, it's, it's when we die, okay? And this is our life on earth. And... Um, you know, at, at, at some point here where, you know, start, we grow up, learn to talk and go to school and we learn wonderful things about how to do good at being able to make a living for our family and have a comfortable retirement or whatever else. Uh, and at some point towards the end here, it was pointed out to me last week, it starts going downhill. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, we actually, um, we, 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 we make plans for when we leave this earth. But, you know, uh, in the light of eternity... Our light and momentary troubles, our, what we live for, our, our, our perspective. If we think this is the end of our life, we, we really, we're going to try to save up for a happy retirement and do things like that. But if we know that after we die, we're going to rise again and there's going to be a forever with God in heaven, like, it completely changes our perspective. If, if all we can see is this short little snippet of our life, then what we do doesn't ultimately matter. If we know we're going to live... Imagine that rope kept going out the door and beyond. Um, you're going to live forever. Um, our, our troubles of this life, it, you know, it, it changes our perspective radically. So I hope that's a, a useful thing, talking about how significant this teaching is about our future resurrection and eternal life. So let me just uh, try to wrap, wrap this all together. Um, firstly... Are we prepared to kneel before our maker? We, everyone who lives, is going to rise again and uh, stand before the Lord on, on Judgment Day. And uh, if you or I are someone who has not yet surrendered our life to Christ as Lord of our life, we need to do business with God. We can't just simply trust that we're a relatively good person. 
Do you know, that's actually the number one thing people think that what it takes to get into heaven is, oh yeah, just don't kill anyone and be a relatively good person and you know, God will let us in because he's a, he's a good God. Do you know, no. The Bible clearly says no. It pulls the rug from under our feet. It says all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve God's just condemnation. No, the Bible calls us to confess our sin to turn from them and to call on God's rich mercy, which is in Christ. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He died for your sins and mine, that we may be forgiven and reconciled to God. And we need to trust him with our lives. He loves us and he has our best interests at heart. We can, we can trust him with our lives. Now, if, if we're already a believer, we already we grasp that. We know Christ is our life. Um, what more does this teach us? Well, there's many things. Firstly, it actually um, it, it, it even affects the way we grieve. You know, when we think about our loved ones that have died, uh, Paul says, do not grieve like other people who have no hope. You know, we know our loved one will live again forever. We'll be united with them again. They're, they're also a believer. Christ has the victory over death, and our, it, it, it should affect our, our healthy grieving. It ought to affect the values and the way we live by. Paul has just really, he's, he's been emphasising this in those last few verses. He's, he's saying, I protest, brothers, you know, I die every day, you know, why am I in danger every hour? Like, the dead are going to be raised, and it, it, that changes the way I live today. Um, it should, it should change the way we invest our time, our money, um, even the way that we might risk ridicule if these things are so. Um, are we evangelising our lost friends and family, our neighbours, as urgently as we ought? I know that for me is a really one, challenging one that I, I grapple with. You know, I don't want to lose a friendship over an awkward conversation, um, but, you know, if it's true that eternity is hanging on this, if I love them, I should, shouldn't I give them the opportunity to know they can be forgiven and loved by God? And, and to, you know, I don't know how people do life now without God, let alone for all eternity. But you know, um, if we truly love people, we, we, we need to be. I, I feel challenged in that. We ought to be um, uh, willing to risk um, their ridicule or their their um, their distancing. Hopefully not. Hopefully they will come to love the God that we too love. Um, so, so I think too that's, that's uh, um, one of the, there's probably many more applications I haven't thought of from this passage, what it means. Um, at the end of our chapter, I'm going to steal a bit of the thunder from next week, verse 58, Paul summarises I think what some of the core messages of the resurrection for us today. And he says, therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. So may that encourage us. May that be how we live out, how we practice, how we um, put into place this reality into our lives. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labour is not in vain. Shall we pray? Father, help us to grasp the reality of what you're teaching us here, the reality of what's to come. Um, help us to uh, 
uh, apply that. Even to cherish it, Lord. I'm so grateful that you have conquered death. So grateful that you came to save us and to restore your fallen creation and that we have a beautiful hope and a wonderful future forever with you. Lord, I pray that we would know we can trust you with our day-to-day lives, with our challenges we face. Help us to be people who are always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that anything we do is not in vain. In your name we pray. Amen.